Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm an interviewer, journalist and broadcaster. And for the first decade of this century, I did for the Irish radio station RT Radio 1 a music series titled Under the Influence. Sadly, that title was subsequently used for a similar MTV show. So now, after revisiting the master tapes of those old interviews, I've decided to turn the best into a podcast series called The Music That Made Me. I may even add the subtitle, Made Me Want to Make Music. Either way, what follows is one of those shows, minus music, which for copyright reasons I can't include. Some of the full shows and many of my other radio programs are available on Mixcloud.com. And if you want to read any articles that arose out of these interviews, you can check out JoeJacksonInterviewer.com. Enjoy the show. Okay, Damien Dempsey, welcome to uh, Under the Influence. And I have, we, you and I talked before, we did an interview for the Sunday Independent, yeah. and I know some of your earliest heroes, and I know there are particular songs that actually made you go, I want to do that, I have to be that. And I know one of them was Whiskey in the Jar. Yeah, Whiskey in the Jar. When I first heard Whiskey in the Jar, I think it was 1987, and uh, Dublin was sort of morning filling it by playing his music, and my brother called me into the front room, and said, listen to this, and he cranked the old Decca record player right up. <laughs> the first notes running out. Just the notes was going, oh, what's this, you know? It was like, my hair was just blown back, you know? And uh, then it kicked in. And the, the riff came in, and Philo started singing in the voice. <laughs> I thought, this is great. What is this? You know, music, well, ballads had hit me before that, you know. Yeah. Christy Moore had hit me and I used to love the fades of Atten Roy, you know, I hate it now. I can't listen to the thing now, but okay. I, when I was a kid and it was only, the song was first coming out, I used to love it. It used to nearly make me cry, you know. Okay. But uh, then this rock and roll, it was the first time I got a, a lick of the old, a blast of rock and roll, you know. So it was a it was a ballad done rock style and that was the blend that kicked you, that knocked you yeah, down. Yeah, maybe that was what the ballad thing hooked me, you know. Yeah. I would have heard it before, Lou Kelly singing it, yeah. me, me, me father singing it as well. But uh, then with when the treatment Philo gave it and Eric Bell and that was just, that really hooked me on. So I wanted, from that day on I wanted to play. Okay, so you're about to be blown away again. Are you ready for this? Yeah. With the opening, will it just knock you against the wall again, won't it? Does it still do that for you? Or have you grown tired of it? Um, doesn't give you that same shock, does oh, it? Doesn't give you the same buzz. <laughs> do you even want to hear it again? Um, well, crank her up, yeah. Shall we? I love the pause. There's hesitance there, wasn't there? Uh, let's hear it one more time for Philo. It won't do Philo any harm to... Let's hear it again. Okay, there you heard, uh, reluctantly chosen by Damien Dempsey as we cranked up the old Decca machine and played his old 45 of whiskey in the jar. Okay, so so Damien, uh, you, you mentioned there that you had listened to ballads and people like Christy. I know Christy more in terms of politically, in terms of his energy, his, his spiritual base, and Sinead O'Connor and stuff like that also galvanised you at a deeper level, didn't they? Definitely, yeah. Um, I was brought to see Christy out in the Grand Hotel in Malahide. And uh, he just, he was up there and he was just looked so powerful, you know. He just looked, you know, he is in real life as well. He's a real powerful man, looking. He's just real strong looking. He's like a bull, you know. And his, his eyes are closed and his head was back, you know. And he had this grimace on his face and the sweat coming down. And the light behind him. It was just a, it was an amazing image I saw of him. And the power, you know, of what he was singing about as well then. How old did you have been at that, at that point? 
Well, I wasn't drinking, so I say I was about eight. <laughs> you started at nine, right? I started at nine. I was about eight years old. Okay, but so that had, that was a powerful impact. That was like a, a, an epiphany or a vision, you know, where something was, just hit you. Yeah. It was it was real spiritual, you know. He was very always very spiritual. I always find him. Yeah. Still today, you know, and very powerful and. He reminds me of a, you know, a white lead belly or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A white lead belly. Okay, was there a particular track? Was there a song he sang that day or, or not? Or is there another song that you then listened to on a, an LP or a CD or a single or whatever and you thought, that's the energy I encountered when I heard him that first time? Um, it was probably Black as the Colour. Yeah. What is it about this that, that still gets you? Well, when he sang it, I don't know what... I, I, I heard it again years later when I was supporting him in the main fiddler. I was backstage listening to him and it was just his voice was so powerful, you know, and he was holding these notes just straight, you know, dead straight. Her lips are like... And it just seemed to go back a while. It was, it was a little bit similar to sometimes the way Luke Kelly would sing. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure maybe did he pick that up off Luke or maybe it was... Oh, I think Luke was one of Christie's influences, he would have been. Yeah. yeah. It was just the power of it, you know, and I just made all the hair stuff. I got the... The musical orgasm, as I call it, okay. and the hair stand up the back of your neck, you know. All right. Okay. You know, so you can, I, I don't have to. You're not going to hesitate if I say, "Would you like to hear that again?" Um, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> you did hesitate. Okay, wow. let's hear it again. <laughs> Damien Dempsey, we just came out of uh, Christy Moore, "Black Is the Color." Now you said there, and, and I mean, for most listeners, uh, there's a lot of listeners who, uh, younger listeners, who will identify with you encountering music at that level. But you were able to casually then say, and so when I was playing support for him in London, now I mean, that's a great leap to go from the guy who gets this energy or kinetic kick, uh, listening to Lizzie or li- watching Christy, and then to say I was I, I was supporting him. So, I mean, how did you make that transition? I know your mother was an incredibly positive energy in terms of helping your career and trying to get you to do something good with your life, apart from the boozing at nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she definitely was. She was like uh, another figure in my life that was very important, you know, even though... But she does sing a few songs. Right. But uh, I suppose, you know, when you're, when you're that age and you see someone like Christy... Uh, you you feel close to the music, but you feel you feel very far away from them. You All know, right. you feel like you're a million miles away from them sometimes. That you're never going to get to meet them. You know, as in you're a punter and they're 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 the artist up there on stage. Yeah, All right. you just feel like you could never get to meet them and talk to them just normally. Right. But, uh, but how did your mother inspire you? And, and what was the family? Was there a pressure to go to perform or to pick up a guitar or to take it up, or was that just totally generated by your own inner need? Um. I used to think that was my own inner name, but they were all singing. They were all there was always singing in um, my mother's house, her mother's house in Cabra West. There was always house parties there, and I was always there as a child. And there was always house parties down in uh, Rings End of me, my father's mother's, and then in my own house there was always house parties. My uncles in Kilock, all the time I was always being brought to these parties as a child. And singing every kind of song I imagine. It wasn't just yeah. ballads. It was pop. It was uh, it was Irish. It was American. It was English pop. I imagine it was everything. Was it? Yeah, there was country and western. Right. There was uh, I was my uncle used to sing uh, Vincent. Okay. I thought that was a lovely song, you know. Right. And then others used to sing a bit of Sinatra. Okay. And my father used to sing Luke Kelly and Christy Moore and then the women would sing a bit of. Uh, Elvis and stuff like that, you know, sometimes. But listen, this, this to me is a great thing about, number one, being Irish and being of a particular background, where those kind of house parties are in your blood. Yeah. So how could you not? If you're inclined towards music, you're almost being kicked that direction. I know, definitely, yeah. 
it was I, I've gone to America and it doesn't seem to happen in England you know the old sing song it seems yeah. to be an Irish tradition you know but uh, you know the, the mother sort of gave me a lot of encouragement as well you know just said you have a brilliant voice and don't care what any of them says about you and you know you sing the way you want to sing so but had anyone said anything about you? And I have, so you and I have talked about this before, and it really annoyed me. The fact that people would take a stance against the accent or say, you know, your voice. And Christy may have encountered this in certain areas. Irish singers with their own inflections or their own working class background or wherever you come from, like a white lead belly. Yeah. It's almost like you should not be up there on stage. You should not be singing. You should not be assaulting my ears. Mm. Did you ever get any of that kind of re response to the work and, and, and your own accent? You, you know, who you are and where you come from comes through in your voice. For years, I got that, a lot of that, right, yeah. Right. And it was people from uh, upper-class areas would uh, laugh at it, and people from working-class areas would go, that's terrible, you can't sing like that. That's a terrible comment. Well, you're letting us down. Yeah. Obviously, uh, 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 sort of had a complex about their own actions, you know? Okay, okay. Deep down, you know? But did you let that intimidate you? Um, no, I only got worse. I only I laid it on ticker. <laughs> I came on rougher with it, you know, when people used to say anything like that, you know. I, I put it on harder sometimes than it actually was because I was getting grief over it, you know. I, right, went, okay. I went the opposite way. I went full force, come on. Okay, all right. Listen, let's play one more hero. I mean, was Sinead a heavy influence along with Christy or was there somebody else we could play here to let, you know, before we move into your own music? Um, there'd be Sinead and Bob Marley, but Sinead was a, bit, a big influence. Again, she was a very strong person, very strong woman. So all this says, Christy's very strong, you know. Very, and Luke Kelly was real, you know. He had this real powerful image. And Sinead was very, a very powerful woman as well. Well, you gave me a great quote about her, and I think she would have liked it too. You said she had more balls than uh, most many men you know. <laughs> I can say that. You said that. She sure did. Big yeah. Big yeah, but that kind of, but that to you, that is another huge influence. The, the dynamic of these performers is part of what you're absorbing. It's not just the lyrics and the music and the spirit. It's, it's that kind of huge kind of presence and kind yeah. of strength. Yeah, definitely. And they were, it's about your rebels as well, you know? Yeah. Music, your rebels in music. You like that, bit? Oh, I love that, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Okay, so how about a rebel song or something? What do you want, what, what would we play by Sinead? Um, I suppose you could give uh, The Famine. Okay. All the Lonely People. It's a wonderful song about the famine and it gives true facts about the famine that uh, we weren't given in the history books, say. All right. Okay. And even that idea that she's kind of rewriting our history or helping us take another tilt on our history would influence you. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Okay, so let's hear Sinead. Uh, Damien, we're coming out of uh, Sinead O'Connor, uh, the last of you. I'm sure there's lots more hero of your heroes we could play. But tell us how you kind of... You, 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 I know that even as a kid, we were talking about the accent thing, and I like the idea that your mum sent you to uh, Mount Temple, didn't she? Yeah. Bono School. And you actually encountered uh, this mix of classes for the first time, yeah. and I know that you and Ten tracksuited buddies you had your gang wasn't that the thing and you then but you cleverly instead of laying on with a trowel the accent you accommodated them didn't you? you you changed your dress style in time to kind of be accepted did you feel pressure on you at that level well I think what happened at Mount Temple was uh, I, I met a lot of well, I went there you know it was all different classes and there was Protestants there you know and there was uh, Muslims and Jews and all sorts of people and um but I was sort of working class Catholic and, uh, you know, you sort of, sometimes when you're, you stick with your own, you go for your own just to, just for the comfort. Yeah. And I met, I saw the tracksuit and I, he's, right, him, and we just sort of, we just sort of all banded together without even, like, thinking about it, you know. But then I started, I started looked at the other kids and a lot of them are real cute looking, you know. Yeah. They just the clothes, clothes they wear, they go to a disco called The Grove, out in Clontarf and all. Okay. 
I started, I started thinking, I'd love to fit in with them now, you know, because they always look real cool sitting there. And we'd look real, we'd be real tough looking. But I wanted to start to get in with these heads. And a lot of my mates had left them after third year anyway. Alright. So the fourth, fifth and sixth year, but my mother made me stay on for Okay. Just to do the leaving. Because yeah. she really wanted me to do it. So I stayed on and tried to fit in with these kids. Alright. <laughs> Did it work? But I know also another another impulse or, or tendency for you, you wanted to impress the girls. You wanted to get girlfriends. And wasn't it a mate of yours once said you never had any luck with them until you picked up a guitar? Mm-hmm. And isn't that why every male singer, and let's face it, a lot of female singers pick up guitars? Ah, uh, big time, yeah. I knew, I, I said to myself, right, one day, if I start, if I work very, very hard on this, Someday they're gonna come to me, and now they do. <laughs> so, kids, if that's your dream, pick up a guitar today. Okay, so let's play. Can we play from maybe your first album of this an earlier recording? Is there something that caps, captures Damien really early in career, with with a kind of sh- showing these kind of influences starting to come through? I suppose um, a song to do that would be maybe uh, it's important. Okay, it's off. They don't teach this shit in school. Okay. It has a bit of an old reggae influence in it. And this is Marty, who was, who was an influence on you. Yeah. And tell us about the song. I mean, when you started writing songs, did you feel self-conscious as a writer? Or when you wrote this, tell us how you just, just to walk us into the song itself. Um, I suppose it has a little bit of traditional influence in it as well, you know. But right. uh, I, I sort of looked around and I, I, I just looked at the world and how divided it was and, you know, the north as well. And I just... I could. I just. I would love to see people up there, you know, coming together and just, you know, sort of dropping all this marching season stuff and all this stuff like that, and 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 the other side as well, you know. And uh, I just my aspirations for the future. This song was, you know, people coming together and realizing, not really, we fought in the past, but you know, for the children, let's try and do something. And that's. I wrote. It's important about that. Okay, that's the song It's Important there by Damien Dempsey. Listen to Joe Jackson and Damien Dempsey on Under the Influence. And that kind of, the way we were talking about that, when you were talking about that, that track in advance, it reminded me of how, of Christie again. Christie's po- political positions have changed. Yeah. He would have been radical kind of, he would have been very strong Republican. Mm-hmm. And I've interviewed him on countless occasions when he went through the transition of change, yeah. looking to another way in the future. So even, even Christie's politics and all that would have influenced you, wouldn't they? Oh, definitely Christie's politics big time. They would have... Uh um, it's, it's he he found it very hard now you know because he was uh, he was pigeonholed and he wasn't played for years and years and years on the radio you know yeah. and things are very hard for him musically but he just he just felt he had to stand up and say what he believed what he felt you know and he couldn't turn his back on what was going on he's, and uh, he's a man of conviction you know and I have to uh, take my hat off to that you know did you ever find there was any kind of reaction against your, any political perspective you expressed in the song did you ever feel it? Did you ever feel I'm I'm getting kind of edged out here, or people don't want me to be saying this stuff? Yeah, I suppose when a, a song like the Colony that I wrote, uh, a lot of people came out and said, uh, "What are you What are you talking about all this stuff for?" You know, um, you're only uh, deepening divisions or something like this. They were saying to me, you know. But uh, when I wrote about the Colony, it's it's sort of still going on today, you know. You tell us, tell us, tell us what's it about for those who don't know the song, and we can, if you want us to play it, we can play it. 
It's about eight minutes long now. Oh, is it eight minutes? And now I don't like playing... <coughs> it's not only that we don't have time, but I don't like, you know, because I'm a writer too. I mean, if you write a song that ends up being eight minutes and I play four, it doesn't seem fair to... You know what I mean? To the listener. To fade it after three. So uh, we, we won't... Just, but that, that's a song that you felt people felt. What are you talking about? But tell them what it's about anyway. And if people want to go out and check it themselves, that and do that. It was just about uh, 400 years of, of European colonialism and the damage it done around the world, you know? Right. Like in places like Africa, you know, where they went in and just drew lines, drew tribes and cut places up, you know? And then as they were leaving, they handed the places over to these, like, tin pot dictators, you know? And they just took all the wealth out and, and it's still happening today, I feel, in Iraq and other places like this, you know? All right. So you were broadening the perspective of just the, the, the British kind of colonising the north of Ireland. You were saying, let's look at the whole kind of map, the global yeah. map. I think it's done so much damage in South America, you know, and uh, Australia as well, you know. And a lot of times, uh, I, I, I talk about this in, in another song off my new album, Shots. The Irish went out and were, I felt they were used, but they were terrible to the native people. They were used as to we, oppression, you know? Us ourselves. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We were incredibly... I only found this out when I went to America and I talked to Native Americans. Yeah. And we were, part, we were part of the colonialists. Know, we yeah. did to them with what the British did to us. Yeah. We were just so happy to have someone to look down on yeah. instead of being looked down on yeah. for the change. Someone to walk on, you know? Yeah, there's another subject. I mean, there's the, I want to play a track from Seize the Day. And this is about... Uh, it's a drug song. I said, do you, want to, do you want to talk us into that? I mean, this is a subject too that you said you hoped the people in listening to the song would take out of it a particular lesson. Yeah, we wanted to write a song for the kids, you know, and just uh, get it through to them how hard it is for a parent, you know, how, how much it destroys the parent, you know, the, their soul, to see their, chil- their child, you know, getting involved in heroin and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, Damien, you, you, you have talked to me about uh, drug use. I mean, not, not being, you haven't been, a, you're not a heroin addict. You never were a heroin addict. But from a certain age, you are of that generation where, E, where what you tried whatever came by. So you're not talking to somebody outside the loop here. You're yeah. talking to somebody who knows, and I'm not saying it's your mother, but who knows how a parent could directly be affected by seeing her kid go down this sad route. Yeah, well, I've had certain family, you know, relations, you know, just uh, I've seen it happen to them and... You know, one or two of them have passed away, you know, and I've just seen the damage it has done. And, and f- certain friends of mine over the years have got involved in that stuff, and it just tears people apart, you know. Whereas you can get away with the other stuff, the lighter stuff, you know. Yeah. It does take it out of you, but you can get away with it, but not too many people get away with heroin, you know. But did it, when, when you lose people like that, and you can talk directly to people who are part of families like that, when people within family die, does that not snap you away completely fast, or do you still you can kind of linger along your own path until you make up your own mind? Um, I don't know. It's everybody's different, you know. Some, some, sometimes when someone dies like that, you can go into what you're doing even heavier, you know. All right, okay. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Why? Because you become more hopeless, or you hurt more, or the, you know, or you get more nihilistic or just fatalistic, whatever. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, I've, over the years when I've, sometimes when I've lost friends, you know, what do you do? You go out and you get like legless drunk or you get yeah. into a fight or you get arrested or something like that, you know. Right. It gives you a little bit of a debt wish yourself, you know. You nearly want to follow them on, you know. Okay. Follow them in sometimes. All right, so instead of it actually saying clean up your act, you might say, no, I'm going further into these shadows. Yeah, you get a bit angry and a bit, you know, depressed and that, you know. Sometimes it can, you drag yourself down, you know, even further. All right. Which, again, is kind of like causing great grief to the people who love you. Yeah. I bet your parents or, the people or your partner or whoever. Yeah, so I wanted to write the song. So, so hold on, think about 
your family, the people that love you, and all the people that brought you up and reared you, and that you know. Even mm. even though if they, even if they hadn't done the best job in the world, at least they tried it. You know, they, you know they put food on the table, and that you know. So this is called the ghost of overdose. Good stuff. This is good radio, isn't it? Don't you think it's real stuff? We're talking truths, you know. So uh, now you'll have to leave. Damien Dempsey, when I last talked to you, uh, we talked mostly about Seize the Day, and I identified that there was an absence of love songs on the, on the album. And you said it was because you never had a relationship that lasted longer than three months. And this was maybe a year ago we talked, and you said one of your hopes for was that in your 30s, maybe one would go on to three months and one week long. Uh, and so I will ask you, and you were writing love songs. So have you had the four-month one yet? Not yet, Joe, okay. no. But I'm after moving, I have a little flat in London now. Okay. So I'm out in my father's house, I'm not living there anymore. So, you know, when you have your own place, it makes it a lot easier to, to, to you know, have a relationship. All right. With you can take them home and make them stay for four months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't advise that anyway. <laughs> You're not coming in your father's teeth in a glass, you know, on the table. <laughs> Which is not the sexiest thing to see late at night. So, so, but the idea, the last time I talked to you, you were talking about, you said, you know, writing love songs. Uh, has that become e easier, you know? I mean, or no, is this still not an area you're yet comfortable at writing about? Well, I don't like to write about things that I don't know enough about to write about. So uh, the only love I've had is I've been in is unrequited, you know? Yeah. So uh, I actually have one on the new album called Hold Me, but uh, it's... Uh, all the women love it, you know, it's, it's, but you're... <laughs> well, isn't that why you wrote it? <laughs> That's why you wrote it. I, had, I know I had to write one for the girls, you know? Yeah, yeah, but you did say to me, and you're not being facetious, because you've admitted to me before that the unrequited love is something you genuinely felt. That there were a couple of women, there was one woman, I don't know who they were and I don't want to know, but there were a couple of women you really fell for and they basically said, get lost, or they used, you used another word. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, no, I'm a guy, no guy, you know, that feeling hurts and you feel it. Well, maybe they were better off telling me at the start and letting me go on for a while, you know, and then telling me a year down the road. So I thank them for that. <laughs> Tell you what, a year down the road? That, uh, get lost, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, it was better off telling me at the start, you know. Oh, excellent. <laughs> All right, then go, getting into it and, and you getting yeah. really, really hurt and burned. Yeah. I was probably, I had a terrible lack of confidence back then and all that, so maybe... You know, nowadays it's probably different, you know. But even though, I mean, we said earlier when you picked up the guitar and your mate said that, that's why you took it, you know, and you do say they now come to me. Do yeah. you still have a lack of self-confidence at a core level as, as a guy, you know, in terms of relationships or love or whatever it is? Well, it's, it's, when I was living at home, it's hard to have confidence, you know, when you're sort of on the breadline, you know, like you make very little old music and okay. unless you're selling an awful lot of albums, you know. Basically, so when you've I haven't got a lot of money and you're still living at home at my age, like twenty nine, it's it's uh, it's it can be a, a snap your confidence, you know. Okay. It can be a shock to your confidence. So we get me own flat now, and if I get a few bob in, and you know that that that'll give me more confidence, and then maybe I'll start going out with somebody, you know. Okay, well, look, I mean, I hope I can pave the path to that. So I'm going to play the song. If there's any women out there, I'll give them your email address or your phone number after the show. So let's play the song. We were, I, I hadn't thought of playing it from your new album, but why don't we play the love song? Okay, hold me. That was nice. That was organic. That's what I like. You see the way, that's what I mean. The conversation could lead us into a song. I know what you mean. That's as natural. Okay. Uh, um, Damien, we, that's a track from your latest album, Shots. But there's another track I, I alluded earlier to kind of a Native American culture and how when the Irish went to America, we became the oppressors. And you almost quoted the Chris Christopherson line, everybody's got to have some bodies to look down on. 
Yeah. You know, and that's what we did. But you have a, you have a song to, uh, on a similar subject, same subject on the album. I have. It's about the Choctaw uh, Native Americans who sent money to the Irish during the famine. And uh, I also apologise for people like General Sheridan, you know, the Irish fellow who went out there. He was a great, an amazing general now, but he was very bad to the Native American people, you know. And I, I, I say how I, I'm ashamed of my country because of people like him, you know, and what they've done after it, it being done to us for so long and then going out and doing it to other people. And I'm apologising to the Choctaw and thanking them. And uh, I just I just think it's it's a great little lesson that from them to us and I, I think the Irish people are very generous as well you know they say we give more in Europe per capita yeah. to, to African countries and places like that than anyone else you know a lot of people might not st- might not have known that fact that, they, that I think it was the first time there was something like a fundraising tendency was from Native Americans to the Irish during the famine yeah. and, uh, and, and they obviously didn't have it to give no they'd had very very little to give you know but they said uh, one of the, the older people said this will be a a gesture that will, rip, will ripple through time, you know. And it does, because you're you're replying now. Yeah, and then, then you have Geldof and Bono down the bits, you know, so. Yeah. Okay. Introduce song. Choctaw Nation. Great stuff. That's great, isn't it? It's funny how we have these kind of parallel lines, because I love that when I found them. I actually found out. Uh, Damien, uh, uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and I want to play one more track from the new album, Shots. And, I, you know, we were talking about how earlier we, we, I alluded and we talked about the fact that, you know, people don't like your accent or whatever. And you, uh, you then mentioned, you know, you don't make much money from, from this business. But we're living in the era of pop idols. We're living in the era of everybody, a lot of young kids beginning to believe, all I have to do is get a break on one of these shows, mm. get up there with my guitar, and I'll become a millionaire, and I'll get the women. I mean, they come anyway whether you're broke. But I'll, I'll make a fortune, and I'm on easy street for the rest of my life, and I've got it made. But, but after the years you've put into the business, that ain't the truth, is it? Not really, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's very hard to make... Uh, a living in Ireland, you know, unless you're maybe Paddy Case and you're selling 100,000 albums, you know what I mean? Which is, is very rare, you know, or David Gray. But, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I'm never going into this for the money, you know? This is something I just have to do, you know? It's, it's like breathing. It's just a way of life for me. And if, if even if I never had, if this album had never went to even number one, like, or do that one didn't get into the charts, or... If I was only selling a few hundred gigs around the country, I'd still be doing what I'm doing, you know? But it must be gratifying that it did go to number one. That must be great. That must give you a great kick and buzz, no? Yeah, it was brilliant, you know, because all the naysayers, all the people who verbally tore me apart for years and years and told me that I was useless and you're never going to do nothing. And, uh, you know, for them to see it at number one, I must have must sickened them, you know? <laughs> and, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke, you know? Absolutely, because it didn't sicken you. I can see by the way you're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so there is actually a track on the album called Patience that isn't too far removed from what we're talking about now. No, it's not too far removed at all. It's just for years I was seeing all, you know, the, the whole industry was was had a, it was in a chokehold by Louis Walsh and all his, all his boy bands and they, you know, none of us could get a look in anyone who was writing songs like myself and Mundy and yeah, Glenn Hansard and all. It was very hard for us, you know, to get on the radio but now you walk into shops and we're, we're all on, racked up, you know, and we're getting on the radio now a bit more and so sometimes you just have to have patience in all walks of life and anything you're doing, you know, you just need patience and just keep telling yourself, keep your eye on your goal, you know, and someday you'll, you'll get there, you know. But that was a deeply frustrating time, and it's not focused on that often, that Louis and the boys did choke up the industry for a long time yeah. for singer-songwriters, for, for rock, 
for people who came from a different uh, area. Yeah, they definitely did. Yeah, for the all the first good ten years of the Celtic Tiger, you know. So uh, that's another thing I was angry about, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you see, it's great. Damien, because as you said that to me there, you smiled again. Because beyond the boy band era, which we are out of, you know, Westlife can keep making their fortunes touring the planet, but but it's over. Yeah. Sorry, Louis. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but isn't it? Oh, this, it's, it's been a real revolution, you know. The wheel has turned, and now all these great bands are, are coming out of Ireland now, and all these great songwriters. And, you know, it's, it makes for great summers with the festivals, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's an exciting time for, for music in this country. But that's why this song has a great theme because it is to all those musicians who, who were feeling or are feeling, you know, I'll never break in because this style of music dominates. It ain't true. Hold on and you'll get there. Hold on. Just uh, have patience and just uh, just keep the faith, you know. Yeah. You're still smiling, guys and gals. That's why, you know, this guy's gone. Listen to his records, man, because that's what's funny to me, Damien, before I leave you. There's this image that your songs are down, that you're too dark, that it's all too kind of political. I mean, that, that ain't true. That To me, there's a spirit burning true there. That, that Like Christy, doesn't matter how dark a song gets. There's a spirit in you that's saying, basically, hold on. Hold on, definitely. Uh, there's something inside you, you know, there's an unbreakable thing inside you. You know, no matter what you do to your body, there's this thing inside you, you know. That won't break if you if you keep uh, nurturing it. Right, okay. I think it's called the spirit. Damien Dempsey, it's great having you on Under the Influence. I wish you all the best for all the future. And I hope you make a fortune. And I hope you get a little bit of that last song in three months. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. <laughs> Hi, Joe Jackson here again. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. More can be heard, as I said, at joejacksoninterviewer.com. <laughs>